Amen. Mike, are you here today? It's Mike Austin. Mike, will you stand up? Let's give it up for Mike. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I love that you get the last word. I love that. It's been so good to hear that video and to see that video each week and to see you, uh, our church body, praying those words. The Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, praying those words over each other and uh, hearing them uh, minister to us. I love that. I love it. So thank you. Thank to everybody who was a part of that and to our friend Abby for uh, putting that together. Um, also, thank you, worship team, for praying those words over us um, through singing and for engaging us in praying them as we were singing as well. Just that reality of, of who we are. And it's so easy for us to lose that perspective and lose that understanding and that rooting of who we are. So many forces pushing against us and, and fighting for our attention and distracting us. And it is so easy for us to lose our place. So thank you for praying that over us and engaging us in singing that and praying that over uh, each other as well and hearing the Lord speak that over us. We are who he says we are. That is our identity. We are rooted in him. And he has the final word on who he says we are. So thank you for that. Uh, hey, th today, this afternoon, uh, from 3 to 5 at Vimela's, uh, is a special occasion for us as a church family. Uh, it's our global Thanksgiving feast that we do each year. And uh, as we've been reminding you, it's not just a meal for us to share together as a church family, uh, but this is an open table where the guests of honor at this meal are going to be local families, uh, refugee families who have relocated to this area. And so we just want to send a message of welcome and embrace to them and to let them know that we are glad that they are our neighbors. And we want to give a tangible expression of loving our neighbors through inviting them to this meal. So that's today uh, from 3 to 5 at Vimalis. Uh, it is a free meal. Everybody is welcome. Absolutely everybody is welcome. Uh, so we'd love to have you come to be a part of that. Many of you are volunteering for it, and if you want to help and jump in and help, then we can always use more help, okay? Uh, so show up down there at Vimla's from, from 3 to 5 today. I also want to really encourage you. Yeah, Dema. Yeah, buddy. Uh, that's a good question. Andrew. Andrew says it is, and he is the czar of the love bus. So, Demont, would you stand and let everyone see your really cool glasses today? Thank you. <laughs> it's your birthday? Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Happy birthday month. All right. Treat yourself. That's great. I love it. Amazing. So please come and be a part of that. And now that DeMont has us in the Christmas spirit, Christmas at the Cradle is uh, next <laughs> Sunday. See that transition? All right. 
Uh, next Sunday at Cat's Cradle, this is also an annual tradition, one of our favorite annual Christmas traditions. Um, so would love to have you be a part of this. Uh, next Sunday at Cat's Cradle, tickets are $10. If you need help, if you don't, aren't able to go because of that, we've got you covered, okay? We want everybody to be there to celebrate together. It's going to be a really fun night of, of music. Some of our friends that you know before, uh, the local band Love and Valor, our friend Hannah Watson is going to be there, and then a friend of the church, uh, who's been a friend of our church for a long time. Many of you may not know him yet. His name's Dustin Akui. Uh, He's going to be there as well, and would love to have you be a part of it. All the proceeds from that uh, go to Table, a local nonprofit that supports uh, school children uh, who are experiencing food insecurity, who don't know where their next uh, meal is coming from. So would love to have you come and to participate in that and to support Table uh, by being a part of that. All right? Awesome. Let's keep rolling. By the way, those aren't just announcements, okay? Uh, I don't, like, treat sermon time as, like, announcement time, okay? If you hear, if you hear us announcing something from, from this spot, it's intentional. It's, it's on purpose, okay? Because it's in alignment with who we are, and it's something that we feel is an expression of our mission as the church, okay? So when we talk about the Thanksgiving feast or this event, this is about uh, our missional expression of who we are and how we live out our mission uh, as the church. So that's why we put that here, okay? Uh, we are moving now into uh, our study today of the book of First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 24, all right? First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Let's pray together as we dive into this. Holy Spirit, we are open. We are listening. We know that you inspired the writing of this word. And when the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to this church, this young church, and he's writing this encouragement and this instruction to them, we know that it was your voice inspiring him in the writing of these words. And we know that it's your voice who helps us translate it today and understand it today. And you are still doing that work of translating it to our hearts. Every single person in this room, we're asking that our hearts and minds and ears would be open to you and that you would speak directly to us. and Translate your word to our hearts, into our souls, and then out of our lives into the world around us. We believe in the power of your word, and we ask for you to move in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, today we're coming to the close of this series that we have been in together called Established, where we're looking at what it means to be a church that is rooted in prayer. We keep coming back to this statement uh, that kind of is the framework for this series, and you can probably say it with me at this point, okay? Uh, But we keep coming back to this over and over again in this sense that awakening prayer has always been the irreducible infrastructure of revival and renewal. Anytime you see that happening through the history of the world across cultures, 
awakening prayer has always been at the heart of that. This longing of God's people praying for him to move in that kind of way. And this kind of culture of awakening prayer is not something that is built overnight. It is slow and small like seeds in the ground. But those seeds grow into fruit and harvest and forest, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, rooted and established in love. That's what we've been praying for. We've set aside this 10th year uh, in the life of our church as we've celebrated that 10th anniversary, set aside this 10th year as a season of prayer. And as this milestone year, giving it to the Lord, not that we're praying for him to do one or two things specifically, but that we're asking him to take us into what it means to be a church that is rooted in prayer, to deepen and expand our understanding of that and our practice of that, and then the transformation that will take place in us as a result of that. So that's been the whole thrust of this series, and we're bringing this particular series in that uh, journey to a close today. Uh, Throughout the series, we, we keep looking at the letters of the Apostle Paul, Many of these letters uh, are written to churches that he planted himself. Some of them uh, are written to churches that he never even visited. And yet he's writing these words of instruction and encouragement. And all throughout those letters, we see him uh, just kind of erupting at moments into thanksgiving prayer. All right, these, these deep prayers of gratitude over what God is doing in those churches. And, and as he prays over those early Christians, over those first churches in this movement of Jesus, that's become a worldwide movement that has reshaped the world. As he is praying those through those letters, we've been asking for the Holy Spirit to pray that into us as well as a congregation to teach us what it means to live out these prayers, to become the answers to these prayers. So hear this today, this prayer from Paul that he writes uh, to this church in Thessalonica. Uh, As we said, chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Here is his, his challenge to us as he teaches us about prayer. Be joyful always. Be joyful always. Pray continually. That's at the heart of everything that we've been talking about through the, through this series. Pray continually. In some translations, it says pray without ceasing. That might be language that you're familiar with, that you've heard people say. This is where that comes from. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire, or in the, on the screen it'll say, do not quench the Spirit. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. We're going to break this down uh, into three different sections today, three clear sections uh, in in this passage as as we're looking through this. Uh, A little bit of background on this book. As we've said before, uh, Paul actually helped plant this church. Okay, It, It grew out of his ministry, his missionary work in this town of Thessalonica. And it's believed that this is probably the first of the letters that Paul 
road that we have uh, here in the New Testament, okay? Oftentimes, you'll think that the Gospels were the first uh, New Testament books written because they're they are arranged first in the New Testament, but actually they were not the first books of the New Testament to be written. The first books of the New Testament to be written were the letters of Paul. And this, uh, scholars believe, is the first of his letters. Many of them uh, agree on that, that this is probably the first of his letters. So what we have here is the first book of the New Testament. All right. And in that, it's beautiful that you can see the consistency of his message all the way through. This echoes. It sounds so familiar to everything else that we've been reading and studying. And it sounds so familiar to what we know of this, the scope of the movement of Jesus Christ and how it has been defined throughout history. So this is probably the first of, of his letters. Uh, this church in Thessalonica was planted, as we said, from his missionary work. Um, and it actually, uh, Paul was forced out of this town of Thessalonica. You can read that story in Acts chapter 17. He's forced out of this because of angry rioters and the local authorities push him out. And uh, he is writing back to this church that gets left behind out of that, uh, out of the, the upstart of that movement. Okay, so he's writing to encourage them and to instruct them in holy living and in the future hope of believers. So here at the end, he is he's walking them through this teaching on prayer and especially where we're going to start this challenge. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay, let's start right there. Uh, when Paul says this and he says rejoice always, be joyful always and in every circumstance Give thanksgiving. We have to realize that Paul is not telling us to live in denial of the reality of despair. Okay, so when you hear that, maybe circumstances in your life come to mind that you're in the thick of right now or memories that you still haven't gotten through yet. Things that have happened to you, circumstances that you have been in, and you say, how is he telling me to be thankful in all circumstances. He must not know anything about me. He must not know anything about the reality of my life. But here's the thing. Paul is not telling us to live in denial of the reality of despair around us. Instead, he is pointing us to the deeper reality within us, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He's pointing us to the deepest reality about the world in which we live. This doesn't mean that we will never have reasons to despair. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean that we'll never have reasons to despair, but he's pointing us to the fact that we will always have more reason to rejoice. And he's challenging us to orient our lives, to take on this posture of joy and gratitude and to live out of that posture. A few weeks ago, our friend Pastor Ron uh, preached uh, through the, on that letter of the Philippians uh, that Paul writes to the Philippians. And throughout that letter, that theme of rejoicing and being joyful, it, it just runs as a thread throughout the whole letter. And he reminded us that as Paul is writing that, and as he's challenging us to take on this posture of joy and gratitude and to live out of that, Paul is writing this from a prison cell. And many of the letters that he writes, not this one that we're studying today, but many of the letters that he writes come while he is experiencing imprisonment. 
Paul, if you read through his life as we did uh, through the summers, we walked through his life through the book of Acts, we see that he is constantly facing turmoil and hardship that he is walking through. And yet through all of that, he says, I have learned to be content in every situation, to rejoice in every situation, to live in this posture of joy and gratitude, not because there aren't reasons to despair, but because there are always more reasons to rejoice. Not because I'm denying the reality of despair in the world, but because I'm seeing the deepest reality, the most real reality of hope in Jesus Christ. That's what he's challenging us with. We've been talking together over the last couple of weeks about this very simple framework that we're using, a very practical and simple framework for daily prayer and just using that acronym of of PRAY, P-R-A-Y. And the first letter in that is this sense of praise. The P is for praise and setting that framework of our lives, entering into this life of prayer from this orientation, this beginning point of praise. And it reorders the way that we see the world when we begin that way. And we begin from this place of joy and this posture of gratitude. When we do that, we don't give thanks to God because God needs to hear that from us. All right, his ego doesn't need it. He doesn't need your encouragement of him. Thank you, God, for the way you did this. That was really well done, okay? He doesn't need that. We don't praise God because he needs to hear it. We praise him because we need to hear it and we need to see it and we need to remember the framework of his faithfulness to us over and over and over again. So we begin from that place of praise, from this posture of joy and gratitude, not because he needs to hear it, but because we need to hear it and we need to be reminded of that. There needs to be a shift in our lives, a shift of the center of gravity from worry and anxiety to joy and gratitude. When we hear this and we think about be joyful always in every circumstance, be thankful. I can't do that. That's not something I can sustain and keep going all of the time. But let's take a a look at the place that worry has in our lives. Think about how often you worry. Think about how constantly present anxiety seems to be in your life. I understand that. I understand the depth of that. Let me also challenge you and encourage you that if you need to see professional counseling, come and talk to us and let us get you connected to someone who can help you with that. And there is real help for that, okay? So I don't push that to the side and simply put a blanket spiritual statement over it and tell you to pray more and your anxiety will will be okay. I'm not saying that, okay? Everybody get that and understand that? Okay, I'm not belittling it at all. Not belittling it. But I am pointing to the power of the Holy Spirit to reorient our lives and the power of the Holy Spirit to shift this sense of the, the, the center of gravity in our lives away from worry and anxiety, which we do all the time into uh, thankfulness, gratitude, and joy, okay? We have no problem in our natural selves worrying and being anxious all the time. Now imagine what is possible if the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is at work in you and helps you to live life from this posture, from this beginning point, from this orientation of joy 
and gratitude. That is possible. That's possible. I want to stop right here. I want to pause for a moment. I want to encourage you to just take a deep breath for a minute and to quiet your mind. And we're going to quiet the room for just a minute. Rarely do we sit in silence because if you're anything like me, if there's a pause in your life, then you reach for your phone and you start scrolling and it just steals your time and it steals your attention and it injects distraction into your life. So right now, we're not going to look at phones. We're not going to hear anybody talking to us. We're going to pause for a moment. We're going to take a deep breath. We're going to let our minds get quiet and let the room get quiet. And I want you to ask this question, what do I have to be thankful for? What do I have to be thankful for? And allow that to enter into your mind. Holy Spirit, help us bring it to mind. Bring it to the top of our hearts, the things in our lives that we are thankful for, that we have to be thankful for. Let's pause and do that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Help reorient us, Lord, and teach us what it means. Even though that's going to be a long road, that's going to be a slow process. We pray that you would undercut the power of worry and anxiety in us. Our natural leaning and our natural bending, our natural orientation. And instead, you would supernaturally teach us what it means and empower us to live lives out of this posture of joy and gratitude. Amen. Amen. Here's the thing. Um, this, uh, the, the efforts of the marketing departments and all of the things that are going to be um, splashed in front of you all week long, they're going to be marketing Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving at you. All right, we're going to sabotage their marketing attempts. And we're going to say, every time you see that word, every time you hear that word spoken, remember that prayer. What do you have to be thankful for? Every time you see it, pause and remember what you're thankful for. And it will help to reorient you into this place and this posture of joy and gratitude. Okay? Every time you see that word this week, think about that. Paul, in the middle of this, in the middle of talking about being joyful always, rejoicing always, and giving thanks in all circumstances, he gives us this challenge of pray continuously. Pray without ceasing. This is another one of those things that's like, how can I do that all the time, all right? Do you want me to just lock myself in a prayer room and stay there all the time? I have a life to live, okay? Do you want me to just walk around talking to you out loud constantly, Lord? Probably not, okay? He probably doesn't want that for you, all right? And neither, no one around you wants that for you either, okay? So this is not about that. It's not about that. What he's saying here is this challenge for us to be awake, to be awake and to be aware of the presence of God constantly around us everywhere we go, the presence of God around us and within us. 
and this sense of being with him. We need to be awake to that. That's what, that's what this is getting at. We are praying together as a church for an awakening. Okay, we're praying for awakening in this community. We're praying for spiritual renewal in people's lives, for them to wake up to the reality of who God is, for them to wake up to their desperate need for the grace of Jesus in their lives because of their sin, because of their weakness, their desperate need for Jesus. That's what we're praying for. And for people to have that encounter with him through the power of the Holy Spirit, to experience what it means to be embraced by God the Father and to hear that word from God the Father that he loves you. He loves you. We want this community to hear that and to know that and to experience that life-transforming embrace of the love of the Father. So we're praying for all those things. We're praying for all of the ramifications of awakening to not just be about a spiritual renewal, but to see social reform come out of that as well, for us to awaken to injustice around us and to be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to do something about it. We're praying for all of that. All right, we're praying for all of that, but we recognize that awakening will not start out there. Awakening does not start out there. Awakening starts in here with us waking up, with us coming awake and becoming aware of the reality of the constant presence of God with us at all times and within us at all times. It doesn't just mean constantly talking to God. It means being aware. It means being awake to that reality. Union and oneness with God. And living in the awareness of that at all times. Being awake to this union and oneness that we have with God. And isn't that the entire purpose and invitation of prayer to begin with? To be with God? Some people define prayer as talking to God. That's a beginning point. That's one part of it. But that's not the depth and full expanded knowledge of what prayer is. It's being with God. It's being in relationship, in communion with him, in union, in oneness with him. It's not just us asking God to give us something or to do something or to show us something or to say something. It is being with him. And so that's the invitation is to be awake and to be aware and to realize that every breath and thought and emotion and question can become a prayer. Remember, you're already praying because God is already listening. Every thought, every breath is the potential of prayer. You're already praying because he is already listening. We have to become aware and awake to the fact that he's listening. And we have to begin to learn to listen as well and to recognize the whisper of his voice, the nudge and the clear thought that breaks through that we know it's from him. And then we got to live in response to that. That's what it means to pray without ceasing, to be aware and to be awake. The next piece is this. He says, do not quench the spirit or do not put out the spirit's fire. We know that in the book of Acts in chapter two, when the Holy Spirit is first poured out on the believers, that is manifested through this symbol of fire, okay? And so all throughout uh, scripture, it gets, it gets related to fire. We see it over and over again. The intensity of God's presence is often demonstrated through this symbol of fire. And so Paul is saying here, don't quench the Spirit's 
fire. Don't put out the spirit. And then he goes into this part that makes a lot of us in this room really uncomfortable. All right. He says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. When I say that word prophecy to you, for some of you, it's like the hyenas and Lion King when they said Mufasa. Right. Sends a shiver down. Say it again. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Okay. It's like that. It weirds you out. Okay. Can we be honest about that? It weirds you out when somebody uses that language. And that's perfectly understandable. Okay. That's understandable to be uh, weirded out, to be uncomfortable with that. But we've got to press beyond that. We've got to press beyond that. And Paul challenges us with that. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. He says, here's what we need to understand. When, it, when it's talking about in the New Testament sense, a prophecy, it's not just talking about somebody predicting the future, okay? That's often what comes to mind when we hear that word, but that's not what we're talking about. The New Testament understanding of prophecy is simply someone giving the word of the Lord to the people of the Lord, speaking God's word to God's people, all right? That's what prophecy is. Is And there are times in our lives when the Holy Spirit speaks to someone who is related to us, who's in a relationship with us, sometimes people who've never even met us before. And the Holy Spirit has the power and the freedom to speak in the heart of a person and to, for me to give a good word to Demont. All right, a word of encouragement. That's what he did. He does that for me many Sundays, okay? A couple of Sundays, I walked up to him and I was like, Demont, I need a word today. All right, and he spoke encouragement to me, and I was in a place where I needed encouragement, and he spoke the word of the Lord to me in encouragement, okay? The Holy Spirit can empower us to speak that to each other and to speak the truth to each other. Sometimes it's a word of of challenge to say, listen, I get this sense that you are going down this path, and it is dangerous for you, it is unhealthy for you, and you need to check yourself in that. You need to check your spirit in that. Are you in alignment with the Lord? Are you walking in alignment with the Lord? You need to check that. Other times it's words of encouragement or words of courage and boldness for us to step out and to live in the obedience that he's been speaking to us. And Paul says, don't shut that down in the life of the church. Don't shut the work of the spirit down in the church. There are many who believe that the way that the Holy Spirit operated in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, no longer applies to the church today. There are many who believe that the Holy Spirit was poured out in that way and expressed himself in that way for the establishment of the church. But now we are in a different era of time. The church has already been established, so the Holy Spirit doesn't move in those same ways anymore. I do not believe that. I do not believe that. We can't say that we believe in the authority of Scripture, which tells us that God doesn't change and then say, but he doesn't do that anymore. I'm not going to box him in. I'm not going to restrict him. That's not my job. And it's not your job either. And that's what Paul is saying in this moment. Don't box God in to what he can and cannot do. But test each other test each other because on the same side we've all experienced people who claim to do things in the name of God and we have a very clear sense to take a step back from that person 
because the way that they're living, the way that they're, that they're expressing it, there's something about that, something unsettled in our heart that says this is not in line with the character of God. God will never act out of character. God will never act out of character. So you're open to what God is saying through people, but you test it, okay? You test it. That's what he is challenging us to do. Uh, my mom is here today. I'm not going to ask her to stand up, but she can wave if you want to. All right, let's give it up for my mom. Awesome. Uh, let's put that picture up, Dayton. All right, that's my mom as a little girl, all right? And that's her dad, who is the coolest person to ever live. Look at that. He looks like James Dean, all right? It's sad when you realize your grandfather was cooler than you will ever be, okay? But that same his name was William Bell Guthrie, and to me, he was Pa, all right? And so my mom grew up on this little place called Harker's Island, this little island on the coast of North Carolina. You've heard me talk about it constantly, okay? And uh, this little fishing village there, it's a beautiful little place. And uh, I always love, I still love going there, but when I was a kid, it was just, this place was magical, okay? And uh, I remember being at Pa's table. He was a cook, he loved to cook, and he was an excellent cook. And his, his, his masterpiece was like fried shrimp and fried fish and all of this stuff, okay? And I can remember being there and, and, and uh, getting to the point where I was like able to, to eat the, the fried fish. And I remember what they would do for me in that, okay? I remember that pa or mom, one of them when I was real young, because I didn't have the ability yet, they would, for me, pick off the fish, right? And then they would leave the bones. They were really careful about that because the, the bones were so small or, or, or whatever that if I swallowed that, it would be really dangerous. And it could have easily been something that I could have done as a, as a kid and not knowing what to do in that. And so they, they, they tested that, all right, so that I could eat the fish and that I could leave the bones. And then as I matured and grew older, then that was something that I learned to do for myself. And I had this sense of being able to test that so that I could eat the fish and leave the bones. This is what Paul's challenging us to do right here. Be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Be open to different ways that the Holy Spirit is moving in different people but test it, test it. If you have questions right now, if you feel like you're in a place in your faith where you're not sure that you have grown to a depth of maturity, where you feel like you're able to distinguish between the fish and the bones yet, then please come and talk to us. And we would love to walk through that with you. We will be generous. We will be open-handed. And we will walk through that with you and carefully help you discern what is fish and what is bones through the authority of the Scripture. And we should do that together. Don't quench the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. Real quickly, I want to put up this list of the six different streams of classic Christianity. All right? Uh, this can be debated, and we could, we could rearrange some of these and, and want to see different things show up here. But this comes from a person named Richard Foster, uh, who's a person I, I trust a lot, an, an old writer who lays it out this way, Okay? He says there are, there are six different streams of classic Christianity. There's the contemplative stream that's really about this inner life of prayer. And a lot of times we see uh, like the, the lives of the monks and the mystics, okay, in this. And some of you in this room, you hear that and you're really drawn 
to that kind of life. There's the historic holiness stream, which is really about the transformed life, seeing the grace of, of Jesus Christ moving us from this place of being rescued by his grace to growing in that grace. And there's a lot of stress on discipleship and how that grace gets lived out in everyday life. Okay, it's the holiness stream. The other is the spirit-filled stream. Sometimes this is referred to as the charismatic stream, okay, which really puts a lot of emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit and emphasizes that heavily. A lot of emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then there's the word-centered stream, which puts a lot of emphasis on the authority of Scripture. And in these uh, churches, uh, in the worship service, whereas in the uh, spirit-filled worship service, a lot of emphasis is on the music and the worship time and the expression of that worship. Uh, in in word-centered churches, a lot of time is spent in preaching. And so you've got 30 to 45-minute sermons right here, baby, okay? <laughs> All right. Um, and so there's a lot of emphasis on that, on the proclamation of the word, on the intellectual engagement with the word, on the teaching of the word to others and discipling in that way. And a big thrust in evangelism and wanting to proclaim the word and spread the word to others because of the belief that the word can transform people. There's the mercy and justice stream where this is compassion in action. Activists are really drawn to this. And these are the churches that are really engaged in their communities uh, and works of justice. And they see that as an overflow and expression of the gospel that we can't just keep it here in this room, but it's got to make an impact out in the community in which we live. And then there's a sacramental uh, stream where there's a lot of emphasis on the liturgy but the liturgy is structured and built, uh, building up to this moment of the sacrament, especially uh, in these churches, the sacrament of the Eucharist and sharing in communion together. And it's like the high point of worship every week. The breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup is like the pinnacle of worship each week. As you can see, in these six streams, there, there are very different experiences. And maybe some of you grew up in different ones. Just real quick, I'm going to run through the list. Raise your hand if either you grew up in this tradition or you're more drawn to this tradition. This fits you. Uh, the contemplative stream. Who in the room? Okay, a few people in the room are leaning towards that. What about the holiness stream? Yes, all right, a few people in the room. Uh, the spirit-filled stream. Okay, the charismatic stream, uh, the word-centered expression of church, mercy and justice, okay, and then sacramental. All right, great. The thing I love about walking through that is hands, several hands went up for different ones, okay? One of my prayers for this congregation is that we would become a river, where all of these six streams are able to converge at a place of depth and that we would see all of these expressed. This is a holistic and beautiful picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. If you're coming from a different tradition uh, than, than what you experience in a church, it, 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 there's some friction in that. But I just want to encourage you as a church for how embracing you are of so many different backgrounds that converge together in this unique place. You make space for it, and I love that. And you give grace for other people's experience and background. 
and the way that they've experienced God in the past and the way that they feel most comfortable expressing that experience. Now, just like all of us will connect to one of these on the board, also all of us, there's probably one or two that we want to take off the board. Okay, there's one or two that we're really uncomfortable with. And we're like, I don't want to go there. I don't I don't I don't trust that. I've seen that abused and misused. And that is true for every single one of these streams. All of these streams, we can point to really clear and even tragic examples of abuse and misuse of these streams. Okay, what we have to do as a church is to have the spiritual maturity to eat the fish and leave the bones. We have to see how God is working through the lives of our brothers and sisters who are coming from very different experiences than we are. We have to open ourselves up and allow them through the grace of Jesus to speak into our lives and to deepen us and to challenge us with that. And my prayer is that we become a place that is a river where all of these six streams are able to come together. We want to be aware of the weaknesses of each. And we also want to be open to the strength of each. Eat the fish and leave the bones. What we do not want to do is this. We do not want to build a dam where God has carved a stream. We do not want to build a dam where God has carved a stream. We want to be open to what that stream has to teach us here. As Paul closes this challenge out, For us, he says this, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He will do it. I love this word that's in there. It's it's the word sanctify. Much like the word prophecy, this word might send a chill down your spine. It might confuse you. Like that sounds like a really old and and weird kind of out there word. Uh, Or others, it might bring up some bad memories of experiences that you have had in church before with that kind of church language, okay? But here's what this simply means. The word sanctified in the biblical context means to be consecrated. It means to be set apart for a specific purpose. To set apart for a specific purpose. And when Paul is talking about this, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through your soul, your spirit, your body, all together, this holistic experience of transformation. What he is talking to us about here is this journey of being formed and shaped and transformed by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Jesus. This is the goal of discipleship. This is the invitation that Jesus has called us into. He's rescued us through his sacrifice. He's redeemed us through his resurrection. And then he invites us to follow him, to walk in the way of Jesus and to be shaped and to be formed and to be transformed by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit into his likeness. This is what Paul is praying over us. It is a journey, and he's inviting us into that, becoming more and more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit more and more expresses the fruit of the Spirit through our lives. We've been talking about this word established through this series and using that term And as I've been thinking about this, to me, the word established, it seems like it would mean arrival 
or completion. It, it sounds kind of like a finish line, doesn't it? To be established. It sounds like to be made complete, and it's this finish line kind of word. But that's not actually how the word gets used most of the time. And that's not how we mean it when we titled this series that. Instead of it being a finish line, it's often used to indicate a beginning. Think about a business who puts on its sign the year in which it began. What word does that business use? Established. Established in 1929, right? It doesn't mean that that business came to an end or its completion or hit the finish line in 1929. No, it means it started then, that this was a beginning and that it's been building ever since that starting point. The town of Chapel Hill this year, this week, celebrated our 200th anniversary as a town. Let's give it up for Chapel Hill, all right? 200 years. It was established 200 years ago. It wasn't finished. It wasn't completed. It marks the beginning, not the finish. And the same is true for us. We are at the end of this series called Established, but we are only beginning to learn what it means to be a a church that is rooted in prayer. We are still at the beginning, and I can't wait to see where the Holy Spirit leads us next, how the grace of God shapes us next, and how the love of Jesus sends us out to live out that mission, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. We're going to seal our time together with communion. We're going to come together around the Lord's table to share in this. It's it's often called Eucharist, which can mean great thanksgiving. It has this sense of thanksgiving and gratitude about it. And as we are headed into this week, we want to live out of that posture of joy and gratitude because of what Jesus has done for us. When we paused and asked you to think about things that you're thankful for, if you couldn't think of anything else, then here's your answer right here. Jesus, when he was with his disciples on the last night, he took the bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken to make you whole. And he took the cup that was on the table and he said, this cup is my blood poured out for the salvation of the world, for the forgiveness of sin. This is the blood of the new covenant. Every time you taste of it, remember what I have done for you. And in that moment, he was indicating to them how he was about to complete his mission. He's not finished with us yet. He's just beginning with us and in who we are becoming in him. But on the cross, he finished his work. He completed his work as he laid down his life as a sacrifice for us to be broken so that we could be healed, to pour out his blood as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins and the redemption of every one of us. He is inviting you into this journey with him. He is inviting you to share in what he has done. If you want to express that today, and you want to receive that today, then we invite you to come to his table 
and to share in this meal together. There'll be two stations, one on this side, one on that side. There'll be a gluten-free option here if you need that. As you come forward, you tear off a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.